One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hold on to your hats, it's the day of a cabinet reshuffle and we couldn't be more excited. I'm joined by Nusha Kalian and Caroline Crampton because we've had our own mini coup of the women here, um, sorry George, and we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not this really is a reshuffle for, for women. Um, Anoush, they briefed it all weekend... How excited are you about our new glorious feminist revolution? <laughs> well, lots of people have been writing about how it's tokenistic and it's also the timing is a bit dodgy because right now they're not going to be making any further legislation. So these women are really there for image purposes, you could say, if you were a cynic. But I actually think that the ultimate outcome of David Cameron's decision, whether or not it's cynical, is a good thing because we need more women in the top tiers of government. Ed Miliband's been doing it, and so it's good that the Tories are responding in this way. So let's run through where we are at the moment. So far, with the big appointment is Nikki Morgan, who was uh, both in the Treasury and Minister for Women. Mm. She's gone to education, replacing Michael Gove, who now moves to Chief Whip. So he's the Francis Urquhart of the uh, <laughs> Tory party now. Um, Liz Truss has also got a cabinet job. She's at DEFRA. Uh, who else is is has been brought on, Caroline? Well, we've we've still got Theresa Villiers and Theresa May keep their cabinet jobs, but people like Priti Patel and Amber Rudd have been moving up the junior ministerial ladder, so they'll be ministers of state. So just overall, the whole thing has sort of ticked up a notch in terms of how many women are there. But it's as Anu said, it's still there's still going to be uh, there's no meetings going to be more women round the table than men. No, that will that will never happen. Yeah. But we will no longer be in a situation as we were several times during this Parliament, where there were more men who went to Magdalen College, Oxford, than women around the cabinet table. Or as many people called David. David, for instance. Actually, there has been a because David Jones left as Welsh Secretary, so there's it's, been a cull of and the David Davids. Willits went. It's, yeah. That's what it is. It's a cull of the Davids. A bad day <laughs> to be a man called David. But we've also got something uh, referring to Anusha's tokenistic point. We've got things like Esther McVeigh at the Department of Work and Pensions keeps her current job but uh, now attends cabinet. So she doesn't become a full cabinet minister, but she will now go to the meetings, which, as you say, you could say, cynically, is just a move to get more women in that photograph of people arriving at Downing Street for cabinet without actually having to give them more responsibility. And we know that this is what happens in the FTSE 100, so they have a target there for 30% of women on boards, which is exactly the same as the target that David Cameron set himself of 30% of ministers um, being women. And what they dare do is they stuff it out with non-executive directorships, so people who aren't in key decision-making roles but are on the board. Um, and I think you'd probably be very hard-pushed to look at someone like Baroness Stowell, who's now leader of the House of Lords, and think that she's going to be banging the cabinet table and <laughs> demanding that everybody bend to her will. In ideological terms, though, Anoush, where has this gone? Because we've seen people like William Hague, who is now regarded as a fairly moderate mm. uh, Tory, Ken Clark leave. Has the party's centre of gravity shifted? Yeah, there, there's been a lot of people writing about how... Um, 
the sort of Tory wets, although that's a bit of an archaic phrase now, have been um, culled from the cabinet. And I think that's mainly an age thing because um, you get people like Ken Clark, um, Dominic Grieve um, and a few of the others who do have those more moderate, perhaps more Europhile views than we have from some of the more thrusting radical Tories that are coming up from the lower ranks who are newer to Parliament. So it's kind of that irony, isn't it, that the ones who perhaps um, are more radical are more right wing. I think that's an interesting point. The two of the Big Britannia Unchained, this, which is yeah. a book that came out several years ago, that was very kind of explicitly neo-Thatcherite. So Liz Truss was in that, Pretty Patel was in that, and both of those have, have been brought on. Um, there was a great observation from our writer Tim Wigmore last night, which is that William Hague has held the same views on Europe for the last 20 years, and he's moved from being on the centre-right of the party to the centre-left. You're now in a case where being Eurosceptic used to mean, I don't want to join the Euro, it now means I want to build a massive fort at Dover and repel borders. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any other uh, appointments that have caught your eye, Caroline? Well, I think it's interesting that um, we've got, in the sort of more minor positions, people like Greg Clark and Stephen Crabb, who haven't necessarily been much in the public gaze, but have now moved up into positions as well secretary and universities minister that will put them on television and so uh, in the run-up to the election. And they're going to be introduced to the public as the potential, you know, should there be another Tory-led coalition or another Tory uh, minority government. These are people who you're going to see more of, you're going to start hearing more of. So this is, in in the run-up to the election, this is Cameron sort of testing the waters with people. Do they perform well on television? Can you trust them on the Andrew Marr show? One thing I was quite surprised about was Ian Duncan Smith staying at the DWP. Absolutely had, astonishing. I mean, I had thought that if any... In the, in the way that it was a surprise to see Gove go... Um, you'd have thought that if you're going to clear out people who have presided over you know, reforms which have been very controversial, then Ian Duncan Smith would be the next name on your list. We know that things like the benefit cap are very popular when people are asked, but he's, well, he's wasted £500 million on universal credit, a project that all the parties supported in principle. Um, why? Why does Ian Duncan Smith live, Anoush? Explain it to me. Um, well, I was thinking about this last night, and I feel like if they're getting rid of... Um, Michael Gove, they want to try and save face for some of their more controversial reforms that they've brought in. So Ian Duncan Smith has been doing um, some things that have been quite um, game changing at the DWP, even if you disagree with him. But like you said, the public, it's quite popular amongst the public. And so if they got rid of him, perhaps it would be admitting defeat on another one of their sort of set piece reform programmes. And there is also that point that Michael Gove, the is less popular than the reforms, I think that's the mm. point. And yeah. Labour have made a lot of hay out of the fact that if you say, these are the education reforms, this is what we're doing, people feel one way. If you go, these are Michael Gove's education yeah. reforms, then suddenly Labour and Lib Dem voters turn against them much more and it will be easier for them to continue to sell those policies, but I think. with Universal Credit and the DDLP so far, the popularity of reforming the benefit system has outweighed the public's disgust at wasting money on IT projects. So I think that's <laughs> yes, the balance. Yeah. Once that tips the other way, then Ian Duncan Smith is no more, surely. Well, that's. I think that's a point about what they did with Ian Ian Duncan Smith's reforms about the very small limited pilots that they did so £500 million has disappeared into a pot somewhere in Whitehall, you don't know but if there were 100,000 people or a million people across the country who turned up one day to claim their benefits and had discovered that the well was dry because the computer system had broken Mm. it's a very Mm. different thing and I suppose that Michael Gove has had the misfortune that, that you can see his reforms in action and therefore there's something to dislike whereas in Duncan Smiths are largely still at this point theoretical. Yes, exactly. Mm. Well, thank you very much to Anoush and Caroline, and we'll have a regular podcast back with you on Thursday. But for the meantime, that's all from us.
Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.